Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 46. Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 46. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under the chair in front of you, and you can open up to page 781. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the cruiser crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he, came, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Before we begin, let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, <clears throat> we're all on edge these days because of what we uh, probably see on the news and things like that. I was eating dinner with my wife, and I sneezed, and then she stopped eating and just stared at me. And I sneezed because the noodles was spicy, and the spice went up my nose. We're all on edge. And so uh, I wanted to tell people to kind of calm down. Um, but here, when we get to this portion of Scripture, uh, there is a kind of edge that the disciples are under, that Jesus is even under, as really different from what we're facing today. It's much more profound. It's much more deeper, it's much more serious, and it's, it's quite devastating. We're going to get into that today and see what Jesus does. Um, 
in verse 31 it says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. You know, after the institution of the Lord's Supper, which we did last week, Jesus and his disciples leave Jerusalem and they are going toward the Mount of Olives. The Lord's Supper was an intimate and a warm meal that they all had with Jesus. It was pretty spectacular and memorable. And as they are leaving, Jesus says to them this statement, You will all fall away because of me this night. This very night would have been immediate. Imagine having a really warm and intimate moment with somebody. And as you're leaving, they say to you, you will betray me. You will leave me. It's not in a few years our friendship will dissipate or dissolve. It's not in a few months or even a few weeks or days. It's in a few hours. This is going to happen soon. The intimacy that they all had, especially that was reflected in the Lord's Supper, is going to be replaced by betrayal. And they will all fall away because of Jesus. Meaning that they will see Jesus now as an obstacle rather than a good to their well-being. The reason that Jesus gives is this. For it is written. Time and time again, Jesus refers to Scripture being fulfilled and specifically being fulfilled by Him. The Scriptures reveal Jesus. The reason why we love the Old Testament is that it reveals who Jesus is. You can't have Jesus without the Old Testament. First off, you wouldn't even know who to look for. People have continued and still continue to claim to be God in our society. But what proof do they have when they go, I am God, or I am the Messiah, I am the one to come? What did they bring? Power? Wealth? Might? I'm a legend. Worship me. And as enticing as they all are and they all were, they all fade. The reason why we value and treasure the scriptures so much is that the Lord Jesus also does the same. It is God's word. And even though power, wealth, might They may all pass away. Even though all the heavens and the earth pass away, it's God's word that will not pass away. The word of the Lord stands forever. That's the reason Jesus gives. It is written. And also it points to the fact that as tragic as all of this that is going to happen, his predictions, his prophecies, as tragic as it sounds, all the news that you're hearing, all the information that's in your head, as tragic that it may sound, it does not fall outside of God's sovereign plan. God 
is still in control. This should give the disciple true peace and true comfort. Because doesn't our biggest fear come from not knowing if it'll turn out all right, especially when it's looking pretty bad out there? And so when Jesus points to Scripture this time, it's to Zechariah 13.7. And Zechariah 13.7 says this, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. But if we were to read the entire Zechariah passage in context, we will see that even though the sheep are scattered, there will be a remnant that survives, that will be refined, and that remnant will make up the people of God. The scattering then is temporary so that God can make them into a true people. And this is verified by the very next words of our Lord when he says that after he is raised up, he will go before them to Galilee. And so why Galilee? Once they bury Jesus, once Jesus dies, where would they go? Probably there's nothing for them there except anything just to go back home. And Jesus is saying, I will get there before them. This is a prophecy that Jesus is saying that he will do. Again, fulfilling Zechariah 13 in its entirety. Now, after all that Jesus said, what's the only thing? Now that you heard the whole, whole thing, what's the only thing that Peter heard? You will all fall away, right? And so in verse 33, Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter doesn't respond to Jesus' resurrection or him leading them again and meeting them in Galilee, he's been offended at the implied slur on his loyalty to Jesus. Jesus, might I remind you of who I am? Lord, who do you think I am? I'm your right-hand man. I am Peter. And Jesus responds with an amen. Truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, Peter would deny him three times. In Palestine, in that area, the roosters crow from around midnight to 3 a.m. This is really weird. This is why the Romans, they will call that portion of the night watch. Remember the night watches were broken up into three hours throughout the night. Night watch from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. would be called the rooster crow. They would call that watch the rooster crow. And he is saying, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. That's really soon. After Peter showed him that kind of determination, you know, 
I'm going to do this. I will never betray you, Jesus. He sang that song. Jesus, I will never let you go. And then Jesus goes, amen, you're going to betray me. Even after the amen statement, Peter is still resolute in trying to convince Jesus otherwise. Never. Even if I were to die, I'm not afraid of death. It's insane that I would deny you. And all the disciples said the same. This leads us to the next portion in Gethsemane. But before that, I want to refer you back to Zechariah 13, 7. It says, I will turn my hand against the little ones. In Matthew 20, verse 22, Jesus answers the disciples when they wanted to sit at certain places on his right and left. Jesus answers, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. In verse 36, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Gethsemane, which means oil press, was probably frequented by Jesus and his disciples often so that they could pray. It's also in John 18. And if you know how olive oil is made, you know it takes about 900 pounds of pressure or force of 4,000 newtons. And interestingly enough, uh, that is the same amount of force you need to break the femur, the bone right here, uh, which is noted to be the strongest bone in your body. Um, that has nothing to do with anything. That's just, it's just interesting to me. That, that it takes about 900 pounds of uh, force. Um, but that's the amount of pressure you would need to make olive oil. So it's called the oil press. It's a place where you press the oil. First you gotta grind, you make it into like a mulch, that kind of thing, and then you put it on, on, this, on this press where they push down on it. And then the oil comes out. That's how you get olive oil. And um, this, that's what this place is called. It's called oil press. So they get to this place, and Jesus instructs eight of his disciples to stay, probably at the entrance. Stay here. And then he takes to the inner three, Peter, John, and James, and they are asked to join him. And in verse 37 it says, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus shares with them this sorrow that he has, which is so deep that it's killing him. It's killing him. This is an incredible thing that he just shared. And it would have, in the very least, alarmed the three. So he instructs them to remain there and watch with him meaning they are to keep awake and pray with him. And in verse 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus, our Lord, falls on his face prostrate, addresses God as my Father, and asks that this cup pass from him. So what is this cup? You know, there are so many references in the Bible 
referencing the cup as God's wrath and judgment. What is this cup? It's God's wrath and judgment. It's in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah. There's all these, it's all over the Old Testament. But I'll give you one just uh, so you have a point of reference. In Psalm 75, verse 7 and 8. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. All the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. So if possible, let this cup pass from me. If possible, with all thing, with 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 God, all things are possible, isn't it? With God, all things are possible, right? Well, in a sense, yes, and in another sense, no. Let me tell you what I mean. God does things that are morally consistent with His character, and so no, God cannot do or be evil. Why? Because God is good. So is it possible for God to be evil or do evil? The answer is no, because God is good. So here, Jesus isn't questioning God's ability to do something. Okay, This is not how we are to read it, not how anybody would have read it. Jesus isn't questioning, are you able to do this? He's not questioning God's ability. And is it really because Jesus... Well, then, you know, did he ask this cup to... Look, people have, been, people have been, you know, debating this for a very, very long time. I'm just telling you what it's definitely not. Is it really because Jesus didn't want to die on the cross then? Well, no. The answer is no to that. Because from the very beginning, Jesus stated over and over, his mission was to be crucified. You know, people have this very false and incorrect notion that when Jesus died on the cross, Satan won. This could not be further from the truth. Jesus' intent from the very beginning was to die for our sins. Matthew 1.21, the very beginning of this book, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In fact, the only way Satan could win would be to prevent Jesus from the cross. That's what every single temptation that the, that the devil, Satan, gave Jesus was. Look, you don't need to do it the Father's way. There's an easier way here. Every single one of those temptations was that. There is an easier way. Don't do it the Father's way. When Jesus told his disciples that he had to suffer and die, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He turned to Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Satan didn't want Jesus to go to the cross at all. At the cross, Satan's head would be crushed. So no, Jesus was not afraid of Satan winning. 
There are some who will say that maybe Jesus was, was asking that maybe let this cup pass would be, please don't let God's wrath remain on me forever. Let it pass. This is maybe a little more difficult of a concept for us because it's plausible. And I'm mentioning it because maybe if you read commentaries, you'll come across this. But I will contend to you that whether it's one second or all eternity, God's wrath is truly something fearsome and terrifying. God's wrath is truly fearsome and terrifying, and that is the point. That's the point. Even if I were to try and to take the wrath of a holy God, for one second my soul would be irreparably crushed. And if the holiest person of all would react in the manner that he did, the hubris one has to have to think that we could take whatever God throws at us is sheer insanity. In Luke, we see that Jesus suffered from hematidrosis. Um, it's where you have such an incredible amount of stress. His anguish is so extreme that the capillaries in the sweat glands would first constrict, then dilate to a point of rupture, and the blood is now effused with the sweat glands, and so it seems like you're sweating blood. That's the kind of intense stress, stress excuse me, and anxiety that Jesus had. This is someone who knows what the wrath of God is like. And this is someone that was most close with God. The level of anguish and suffering that Jesus was beginning to suffer now is something that we could probably never, ever fully know. In verse 40, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? First of all, he was praying for one hour. <laughs> I don't know how many of us have prayed for one hour straight with our face on the ground. That's the kind of, that's the kind of intensity and desperation that we see in our Lord when he was praying in Gethsemane. You could not watch with me for one hour Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus gets up from his prayer and goes back to his disciples, and they are sleeping. He admonishes them because they couldn't even stay up one hour at such an important time. And then he says they are to watch and pray that they do not enter into temptation. You know, there's so much here just in this verse but at least two things can be discerned from this. <clears throat> number one is spiritual alertness. And number two is intercession. Spiritual alertness and intercession. Jesus had already foretold them of their betrayal and their desertion. And it should have immediately shook them to recognize this is an urgent call to prayer. Jesus isn't referencing here the temptation to sleep. 
You don't pray so that you can stay awake. He's teaching his disciples that when there is an impending trial, when there is a serious situation that you are going to face, you must urgently pray. Secondly, he asks them to pray with him. Praying together is something the Lord taught us to do in the word and his very life here on earth. Praying together is what the body of believers do. In praying together, we fortify ourselves from the temptations of the world, the anxiety of the world, the noise of the world. In praying together, we strengthen not only our spiritual resolve, but align ourselves rightly to God's will. It is no coincidence that one of the key phrases Jesus taught his disciples to pray is for God's will to be done. And out of his incredible compassion, he gave us this gem. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. D.A. Carson writes this, Spiritual eagerness is often accompanied by carnal weakness, a danger amply experienced by successive generations of Christians. I just wanted to let that sink in. After you hear the truth, after the word of God is proclaimed, our spirit soars, but the flesh is weak. You walk out these doors, you go back home, and boom, you realize how weak you are. I will never betray you, Jesus. And immediately your mind is on the things that are not godly, not holy, and not loving to your neighbor. Immediately your mind will be, when I'm losing, I'm going to hurt this guy. Why? Because you're weak. D.A. Carson might be right in pointing out that this may be this generation's biggest, this generation, us right here, biggest and most dangerous weakness. We don't know how to pray together. We don't know how to pray. Even one generation ago, the entire church would get up and pray together every day. And now we only have excuses Because you are weak. But Jesus' words are incredible words of comfort. He knows the flesh is weak. That's why he charges his disciples to pray. Pray together. Stay alert. Pray. In verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, Your will be done. And he came and found them sleep. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Again, Jesus goes and prays, Your will be done to the Father. And again, when he comes back, they're sleeping. This is the most desperate and sorrowful that they have ever seen Jesus. And when Jesus asks them to to pray with him, he finds them sleeping. Why do people not pray? 
Why do people not pray? There are many reasons, I suppose. But I want to boil it all down to this one. Why do people not pray? We don't believe in God. We don't believe God. We don't believe God. We don't take his warning seriously. We don't take his encouragements seriously. We say things like, eh, I can pray by myself. Or things like, I pray enough. I pray enough. Here's a good one. I'm always praying. Like, I'm always thinking about God and stuff. That always gets me. These are not sober-minded rationales. That means your life has been given over to the passions of the flesh. Whoa, that's a little rough, huh, Puge? You're saying that if I don't pray, it's because I'm already deep in sin? The answer is yes. Peter, although he's sleeping now, Later on, after the resurrection, he realized what Jesus taught. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, he talks about the passions of the flesh and the judgment that comes with it. And then he says this in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You are to be self-controlled and sober-minded so that you can pray so that you can pray, because the temptations that will come will topple you over. And yes, even those that are here that are so gung-ho about Jesus right now, I will never let you go, Jesus. He gave us that gem for us. In his most trying time before the cross, where his anguish and his sorrow overwhelmed his soul to the point of death. Jesus cared about his disciples so much to give us this truth. How are we taking that truth? Then he came to his, the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. There is a time for prayer, and time is limited. Don't miss it. Believe Jesus. I want to end with this. In Gethsemane, meaning oil press, Jesus does something quite fascinating. And while we'll never fully understand the depths of his anguish and sorrow, we know what he prayed. He prayed for God's will to be done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, a reversal is happening. In the first garden, man said, not your will, but mine. And by eating the forbidden fruit, paradise is changed to desert. This time, Gethsemane, a place of intense pressure, another man says, not my will, but yours be done. 
and transforms this place of intense pressure to the kingdom. By doing this, he brings that intense pressure, he brings that anguish upon himself so that we would not be crushed. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Let's pray.